fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fireside and Some Flights podcast. I'm yeah, it's just weird. It is just weird, isn't it? But yeah. I'm Nelson. Yeah, I'm Dalton. <laughs> and today we are, I guess, talking about random stuff again. Yeah, so. whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, maybe we need. It's like it's a fireside episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. But that's a tongue twister. Like, that is a really big to, tongue twister. Yeah. yeah, part of the fire or part of the Fantasy and Some Flights Corporation. <laughs> <laughs> it's an off branch. We should incorporate. Right. No, that just seems like a lot of work. Anyways, yeah. but yeah, so we are we are drinking tonight. Yeah. Always are. Oh, I mean, yeah, of course. Dalton, <laughs> what are you, what are, you want to start us out? Yeah, I'm having Bell's Bright White, which is a Belgian-inspired wheat ale, so I don't know like where the white comes from, but it like looks all snowy. The can is white. The can is white. That is the thing that they choose. Yeah, I think that is kind of where that dies. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is like crisper than I think I expected when I had it the first time. Like it's um, a little more fruity almost. Like not like it's fruit like really it's, strong. Yeah, it's not like an IPA level of fruit. Right, it's not like quite hazy or something. It's but it's tending like, towards that. Yeah, tending towards that a little crisp. So, I think maybe the white throws me off because I think of like winter beers and it's not quite like a spiced winter beer oh, yeah. or something. You, you know? don't feel like warm. Right, <laughs> right. Gotcha. But it's tasty. It's really good. Oh, good. So, I think it was part of the pick six that you picked me up at one point. So. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I appreciate it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? So I'm drinking Balcones Texas Rye. Which is a 100% rye mash, 100 proof. Uh, you you did comment that I tend towards just buying things that have at least three digits in the proof. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which is really not do. intentional actually. I, I I do not really even look at that when I'm buying. Yeah. So I am a little upset at myself because mm. so I went to the liquor store and it had like this 94 rating on mm. this bottle and I'm not sure if I picked up the wrong bottle, <laughs> if it was mislabeled. <laughs> uh but it is i we, out of 100 would you rate it at a 94 no no out of 200 <laughs> we may get there uh, <laughs> but I, yeah we i you tasted it a little bit and we were yeah. kind of talking about it and i think like it's it has some hints of chocolate and leather yeah and i i described it as it feels like the experience of when you're biting down on a belt and getting your leg uh, sawed off it, during the civil war yeah uh, <laughs> so it's uh just like the blood and iron and the leather blood chased. iron <laughs> just like the whole body experience kind of feels like what i'm feeling when i'm drinking this yeah. so this would be a one cheers for me yeah which is a little upsetting yeah but it was like pretty cheap so that's good yeah at least you didn't spend too much on it <laughs> i don't know what i was thinking i was just like "Ooh, that's a cheap one with a really high rating <laughs> i should have been skeptical yeah but yeah it's it's like super dark in color i think we said that about the bottom when we were looking at it but it's like i don't know it's like a deep rusty color or something like very dark yeah i don't know this one will be good to either pass out or have after uh, a couple of other bourbons, yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> the sixth bourbon of the night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It gets relegated to being a mixer. Yeah. <laughs> think. Um, it's good to have a bad one every once in a while so you know kind of what you're looking for. Kind of reset. Right. Yep. Like, all oh, right, there are bad ones. <laughs> and it, it, I, I'm glad I had the Templeton one first, mm-hmm. which is also 100% rye mm-hmm. mash. Because if I had this one first, I don't know if you could convince me to try another 100% rye <laughs> mash. So, <laughs> so that that is, that is good that you sent me the templeton good, first good. so i'm glad to hear it well yeah so we'll suffer through this one so <laughs> <laughs> what uh let's start with mind yeah what have you been like reading recently or watching yeah i've been a couple things so first of all 
I am getting deeper into the Witcher series. I think I've like I've been talking about that, but it's continuing to hold up. So I just wanted to mention that. And I think you may have already told me or mentioned it, but how big is that series? Is it kind of is it set like five books or is it twenty books? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's if I remember right, it's five with the two prequel books, so seven okay. total. Okay, that's not, that's digestible. Yeah, for sure. And the and they are pretty like they're on the shorter end of the spectrum for us because I think one of them was as short as maybe like nine hours. Oh, and the one I'm oh, on yeah, now no, is like eleven or twelve. Really short. So, oh, okay. I yeah. was I was expecting at least like a fifteen to twenty. Yeah, yeah, they're shorter than I expected. Nice. Yeah. Um, what about you? Uh, so I've got a couple of things that I'm reading. Which is which is kind of interesting. Like I audiobook, a real book. Um, yeah. and then one one of the things that I kinda of wanted to highlight tonight is I finished Rise of Kylo Ren, which Ooh. is a uh which is a graphic novel. Or I don't even know if it's considered a novel. It's pretty short. Okay. But it, it kind of goes pre episode seven uh-huh. and kind of shows Kylo Ren in the Jedi Temple when he's being trained by Luke and then his connection with with uh snoke uh-huh. and how that kind Greatest of played of all time oh yeah i mean just that climax though <laughs> yeah right. just oh man it was did not see that coming <laughs> um but yeah so it, it's kind of interesting because he you know he had a connection with snoke when he was a, like youngling okay so and snoke wasn't necessarily like the all evil guy during this time like gotcha he would go visit him and talk with him and stuff uh and then but it, it was pretty good. It kind of went into the story of uh, when Rin destroyed the Jedi Temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of followed some of the other Padawans, I, I guess, uh, the the other Jedi uh-huh. training under Luke, trying to hunt him down. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into a little bit more of the background of the Knights of Rin, which was which was really cool to see because like they're kind of teased. I did, I didn't feel like I got a super satisfying explanation of what the knights of ren were in yeah. the movies but it, uh, like it's a whole like criminal organization type thing that like you have to go through it feels kind of like the mafia oh yeah it's like you have to go through trials to like get kind of initiated into it and so it kind of goes into that a little bit it, it, it was He's good so, like full of himself <laughs> <laughs> he really is yeah um but yeah it, it it was good um i i really enjoy the star wars graphic novels i just think mm-hmm. that they do a really great job with the art yeah and so I, I I just really enjoyed that. I'm still making my way through Rhythm of War. Okay. So the audio book is slow and steady. Not really that slow though. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, the audio book is broken up into five parts to make mm. it like able to be downloaded onto your phone because that's how long of a book it is. I'm in part four. Okay. Uh, I'm in the the I'm about halfway through the fourth. Cool. And I don't I don't know I it's not as exciting for me. I, okay, no, sorry. The first half of the book was awesome. Mm-hmm. This this like middle, I don't know, quarter is kind of slow. Okay, and and I think that's kind of why I've slowed down a little bit because when I'm sitting down to read it, I'm just like, I don't know, I'm just not super interested in any of the stories. Yeah, the the some of the stories haven't been picked up in a long time in the book. Hmm. So uh, with with the Stormlight Archives, they jump around story to story, which kind of keeps it fresh. But for some reason, it's kind of been focusing on one, maybe two stories. Yep. And for whatever reason, they're just not drawing me in. And I think we kind of talked about this with Oathbringer when yeah. we read through it. It's just like, you know, you, you're at 180 hours of this book. You kind of get fatigued. Yeah. And so I think that may be where I'm at. Yeah. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. 
it, it is really cool to see all the other ties to the Cosmere and yep. um, just kind of how the different orders of Radiance are using their powers now. Very cool. So, yeah, I could definitely see like Oathbringer did kind of come together all of a sudden, you know, and I, I kind of regained your, it was like, whoa, wait, hold on. Everything's happening. You know? <laughs> yeah. But I think he, you're right that he doesn't quite follow the normal, uh, like in the story arc episodes that we've talked about, he probably doesn't really follow the path of like a rising action to like a climax. There's kind of like these almost intermissions halfway through the book where he's just like doing other things and telling other parts of the story. And that can, that can start to drag. Yeah. I think I will be really interested to analyze the story arc once all five mm. books have been published for like, there's 10 books to yeah. mini series mi- quote mini series. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'll be interested to reanalyze that because it's kind of like when you're, when you're in the midst of it, it does feel like a drag, but when you zoom out mm. and kind of take in the whole story, I'm wondering if it like does, has a much better story arc there. Also, I just want to go ahead and say that like, I love these books <laughs> um, like I, this conversation should in no way deter you from listening or reading these books. These are phenomenal books, and you should read them. But I feel like this conversation turned a little negative, <laughs> and I just wanted We're to, to complain about things that we love. Yes, and, mm-hmm. and I just, but I do, I do just want to reiterate that I, I highly, highly recommend these. For uh, sure. re- recommend these books for sure. Speaking of like, I don't know, all-time favorite series for us. Um, we shared in the Discord, but you so you've already seen that Avatar is coming out with yeah, they, like Nickelodeon and Paramount have put together Avatar Studios um, to start writing additional stories in like the world stories and movies, I believe, in the world of Avatar: The Last Airbender. They have so much content that they can pull from because yeah, Aang is what the hundredth. It, I don't know. There's been a hundred Avatars before him. Yeah, that, that was potentially even number. more than that. Yeah, like, that, I think it's a couple hundred, yeah. And so you can, it's almost like a Star Wars sandbox where you can just, like, pretend, like, you can just go to this 72nd Avatar and just tell their story. And yeah, it for sure. wouldn't have any ties to any other series, so you can kind of do really creative things. So I'm, I'm excited to see where they go with that. And there already are some, like, no, or comics, like, comics that were okay. put out for following Aang, like, after, after he, well... I guess I don't want to spoil too much. The the Avatar: The Last Airbender, Airbender was three books, yeah, um, or three seasons of the show. The right. comics are the fourth book, and it kind of bridges the gap between Last Airbender and Korra. Yeah, yeah, because the first three books take place over a fairly short amount of time. Yeah, like, actually, like four yeah. months or something, <laughs> six months maybe, which is crazy to think about. That. Yeah, it is crazy to think about, and so it starts. It just tells the story of like the couple years following. So point is though that they have that to draw on. Um, and then they also have already introduced several past avatars, past lives of Aang um, that they could like, we would love at least a couple episodes on Kiyoshi, right? Yeah. I want the, <laughs> the I, murder we, avatar. Yeah. <laughs> the TVMA HBO right. produced yeah. Kiyoshi avatar. Let's go. Absolutely. Um, they also, they brought back um, the original creators, Mike, I'm going to mess up these names, Michael uh, DiMartino and Brian Mm, how do you say this (laughs) Konitsko it it ends in like T-Z-K-O which I just I'm screwed yeah you know I don't know what I'm glad you're saying it and not me yeah usually you're the one screwing up the name (laughs) so you take my phone like (laughs) you read these um but it gives us hope right because they have tried to reboot Avatar a couple of times and it's always I guess not a couple times like they they obviously they, they did the movie which was terrible and then they were there was like rumors of a live action thing which I don't know where that ever ended up so they were doing that with Netflix, I believe. They were, yeah. And 
I know that the original creators or the original writers left it because they were not That's pleased. That's right. Yeah. But from what I understood, they were still pursuing that. So yeah. I don't know if this news changes that at all. That's a good question because I, I know, at least from the articles I have seen, the intent is for everything that the Avatar Studio puts out uh, will continue to be animated, which is a good call. Good. It yes. should be. Yeah. With the way the magic system works and everything, like it just, it, it looks campy and goofy if it's in, right. you know. Yeah. It's be- it's just better as an animated series, so I was excited to see that kind of design choice as well. So we have gotten a Airbender avatar with yep. Aang, and mm-hmm. Korra is a waterbending avatar. Right. Do you think that the next couple ones we're going to see a fire and a earth bending? So that would be super interesting because like there's a big technology gap between Avatar: The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, right? Because like in the Legend of like Avatar: The Last Airbender is like starting to get into like some industrial feels, like a little bit steampunk, but like not a lot. For the most part, they're still like kind of feudal, you know. Yeah. Um, and like the Fire Nation is starting to drive industry, um, and like that's one reason that they kind of rise to powers because they have industry and nobody else does. And like the Legend of Korra, it sort of like even it like evens out the playing field. There are no more like the four nations are not divided anymore, and they're kind of in the industrial age, right? So if they decided to do the avatar after Korra. Um, first of all, I would love to see an old Korra, like an aged Korra. I think that would be really yeah, cool. Yeah, that would be cool. You know, just to kind of see like, cause she's kind of hot headed. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of hot headed is actually an understatement. Like she's Very extremely <laughs> hot headed. So it would be cool just to see her as like a mature, like kind of how the avatar like communicates with their past lives. Yes. You know, it would be cool to see her as the mentor character. And then, but if they did like a fire one, that would be actually like pretty far down the road, but I would love to see like a young Roku right yeah like going backwards oh that'd be cool and, and showing like the young who roku if you haven't watched is the avatar before ang so he's kind right. of ang's mentor which which is kind of interesting that you said that it did not even cross my mind to go past Korra. i just assumed that oh, every, yeah. all the content that they were going to be drawing on was prequels mm. mm-hmm. but good point <laughs> yeah it seems pretty open-ended right now that they're just like yeah we're gonna do I, they even again they didn't really define what they were going to do they're like we're gonna do like movies and shows you know? that, that's really cool yeah i think they're really taking a page out of the disney star wars book here to see like okay if we just make a studio that's just going to do this like <laughs> what can we make out of it i i am all for this for sure um, i i'm really excited especially because they have their their, their writers back the original writers back mm-hmm. and i i will be interested to see where, where what timeline they take place and i i prefer the more feudal age with this setting yeah. uh i i the steampunk is just not something that really drew me into Korra. So I, but I mean, we'll see. Maybe we get a modern day uh, Avatar. Right. That would be kind of interesting, right? That's kind of interesting. <laughs> so uh, do you know, like the other thing that's interesting, like, so I, I even had to just look this up just now, just to be sure. Avatar I started coming out in 2005. That's crazy. And it came out, I think just three years in a row. I think it just 2005, six and seven and the whole thing was done. So it's been a long time, you know? Yeah. And the fact that it has like such a following still, it's kind of, every time it gets re-released on Netflix, there's this huge boom of people that kind of get into it. <laughs> so many new memes. Yeah. So many new memes pop out, which is awesome. And so it's just really cool that, you know, it is like 16 or, you know, years old at this point and they're kind of revitalizing it. They're like, gonna, they're willing to kind of put a little energy into it. So I have to see so where it goes. Excited. Yep. Awesome. Want to talk a little bit about table stuff? Sure. Like what yeah. we've been playing? Yeah, I, I, yes, but I don't, there's not a lot for me, unfortunately. I think kind of we we took a trip last week, so yeah. and we were gonna play a lot of games because we had these great ambitions, and we just yeah, ne- it never came to fruition. Yeah, we but one of the things that I don't think we've actually talked about on the podcast, which is a good time to bring it up, is Stonemaier Games is releasing a new game 
probably beginning of Q2 of 2021 mm-hmm. called Red Rising. Yes. And so Red Rising, as you have heard if you've listened to previous episodes, is one of our favorite books of all time. Yep. And so Jamie Stegmeier is uh, co-designing a, a Red Rising board game, which takes place in the universe of the story that we love. Yeah. It's going to be a hand management type game where you are working to draft leaders and each leader has an ability or victory points if you have them at in your card or in your hand at the end of the game. Yeah. You have to make some choices on if you're going to play them, but the whole thing is supposed to take only about 30 to 45 minutes as well. Yeah. So it's going to be this nice filler in a in, in a theme that we love. Yeah. By the time that this episode releases, I will probably have pre-ordered it. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, maybe, maybe. He said early March. Okay. And so th- this will be kind of our first episode in March. So yeah. maybe. All that to kind of tie into our book episode is that our next book analysis is going to be released on April 8th. Yes. And that will be Red Rising. Yeah. To kind of like, because we, we always have wanted to talk about Red Rising and this yeah. seemed to be the perfect time to do it because that's about the time that the game will be arriving uh, in our hands. And yeah. so we'll have played it. We'll be able to talk about that. And then we'll be able to talk about the amazing book that we love. For sure. Which is Red Rising. So, yeah. we had, I remember having this like big conversation for the last book analysis of oh do we want to do Mistborn or do we want to do red rising we settled on Mistborn because mostly because we talk about sanderson so much um <laughs> that worked out well yeah it did it did work <laughs> out well um and so so now it's, it's it's really exciting yeah that like the board game is going to be released right around the time we're going to uh release or record and release that episode um so the next book episode um will not be like red rising we're going to do a book topic episode next but yeah april 8th so will be the next uh will be the Red Rising episode. And it's not super long if you want to pick it up and try and read it. Yeah, that, that gives you about five weeks. And I think if you're physically reading it every night, it's probably mm-hmm. a week long. Yeah. I think the audiobook is less than 20 hours. So, I mean, it's it is, yeah. like the Fellowship of the Ring length. It's not it's not a huge commitment. Right. And we do love it. <laughs> yeah, we do love it. And our episode is only going to be focused on the first book, which is yep. called Red Rising. Yeah. So I think it's actually Red Rising and then the trilogy is called Red Rising, which is... Very slightly confusing. confusing. Yeah, it is very confusing. But we are only going to it's be. It's also not only a trilogy at this point. Oh yeah, that. Oh he yeah, started that's writing true. up like the. Fo- <laughs> he started writing the follow-up trilogy. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But Red Rising, the mm-hmm. first book, will be our next book episode. So go ahead and. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, our next book analysis episode. Yeah. So go ahead and pick that up from your library or grab it on Audible or however you read books. I I don't know how you read books, <laughs> but go ahead and pick that up. Uh, read mm-hmm. it for. If five weeks from now yeah exactly so yeah. red rising that should be able to be pre-ordered right around now mm-hmm. um maybe in the next week it depends on if you're kind of a member of the stonemeyer website mm-hmm. but check that out they're gonna have the deluxe and the non-deluxe edition so it, it looks really cool it, it looks like a game that i am gonna be really interested in for that 45 minute yeah time frame for sure also the art looks dope nice the the art you need like you like first of all it's coming from jamie stagmeyer so like I expect, <laughs> it's gonna be perfect yeah expect, <laughs> yeah but like um scythe right like it he he puts out games with high uh component quality absolutely so, so i so i expect that but also like if you're going to do a board game that's this heavily theme dependent you know you got to kind of lean into it a little bit yeah this one kind of feels kind of weird because we usually have a lot more board games that we've been talking about but right it does give us some time for some icebreakers if you yeah. want to hop in to to do some of those absolutely let's do a couple so i i had my wife send me one uh we're gonna let's knock out a board game icebreaker so this one is from caleb so 
what is a game that you love? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a great icebreaker. <laughs> yeah. What is a game that you love but would never recommend to a group of all new players trying to learn based purely on the rule book? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Spirit <laughs> Island. Twine of Ethereum. Let's get outside of like our, we got those out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> that's, um, that's fair. We haven't said it in a while, but Spirit Island has like a god awful rule book. It's yes. just like the worst. Yeah. So, um, as much as we love the game, get someone to teach it to you or watch a video because the rule book is terrible. That is totally true. Mm-hmm. The The question is interesting because if I'm, I'm, I'm not going to recommend Twilight Imperium or Spirit Island to a group of new players. And so, like, like, I have anyway, to, like, yeah. I have to, like, put myself in that mindset and then think about rule books. Yeah. And so, like, what rule books would I, or, or what, what games would I want to have a new player play? That's a good question. I really struggle with the small world rule book. I have not read that thing in forever. I don't remember why it is, honestly. <laughs> I just remember, like, really not liking it. I think maybe it's just, like, inconsistent with terms. It's, like, a big... That's a big one. That's a big deal, right? Especially when for new players. Yeah, when you're, like... I think it's one of those games that maybe struggles with, like, rounds versus turns. And, that and it like, it's, like, you need to be really careful with those, like, yes. terms. Because they can be yeah. very confusing very quickly. Um, in Spirit... Or, uh, Sam <laughs> Spirit Island. Um, Spirit Island has a bad rule book. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've heard that. <laughs> we'll just keep saying that. Yeah, we'll just keep saying it. Just drive that home. Um, small world is one that is like it is within reach for new players i think so you yeah know? It, it's gonna be a bit of a stretch it's like you don't want that to be a gateway game mostly because it's a dudes on a map type game like you're attacking each other all the time but it's one that there it's a dudes on a map game that there's no player elimination like that really helps you cannot be eliminated from that game um, it has like a goofy theme and feel to it so like and i think that's really big yeah because you can sit down with a new player even if you are experienced and maybe have the conversation with them they're like you know it's it's a higher complexity game so like it mm-hmm. may take a while for you to get it and kind of set their expectations but it is such a goofy fun theme that like when i'm playing like small world i i want to win but i don't care if i lose yeah. type thing and yeah. so like you just have fun with it and you're sure. like i'm gonna be the berserking ghouls like, yeah or the berserking hobbits like yeah that just seems hilarious yeah. to me. so yeah, the uh, Dragon Master Hobbits. Yes. So the, the OP play. <laughs> I, I think part of it, too, is that, like, Small World has, like, some kind of wacky concepts from, like, a board game mechanic perspective. Yeah. Of, like, retiring. Like, I'm, like, what does that even mean that I'm going to, like, give up on a race and pick a new one? You know? Like, makes me feel like I'm, it's like, who am I playing? Like, no one. You're not playing anyone. You're playing, <laughs> like, three or four different races over the course of this. Right. Like, get that through your head. And so... That, that is hard. Uh, when you read the rules to it the first time, it's like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. I'm giving up on the people that I've, like, worked so hard to build on or whatever. And so, like, when you, ha- I think, have someone explain it to you, then they can go, yeah, yeah, this is going to, how this is going to work. You're going to play this race for two or three, like, turns. You're going to run out of steam, and then you're going to retire yeah. them and pick a new one. And, like, still be scoring points off the old one. I think having someone to explain that game to you makes it a lot better. Because yep. one of the things that I know we struggled with when we were playing it consistently in college was... Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of trying to explain how many tokens you needed to take over a territory. Yeah, because it was Which like should be really simple. <laughs> it should be really simple. And what we transitioned to was you need one plus the number of cardboard pieces on that territory. I think it's if that's two, but yeah. Oh yeah, maybe two. Yeah. Where if it's like that could be a mountain. That could be yeah, a, like a native. A native whatever. that could be some sort of special tokens that the trolls put there. Yeah. Like because. I think in the rule book you're trying to like say like it's two plus the mountain yeah. and if there is like okay just count the number of cardboard pieces yeah add two to that as long as it's not need. a dragon you're good <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> so 
So yeah, I I think that one's a good one. Uh, maybe for that next step into games, right. but it's also just such a wacky theme that it for would just, sure. just be fun to play for sure. And if you are interested in it, then like put it on our on our game night forum or something, and, and we'll play it with you on on one of our like game nights through the Discord. And that's a great way to learn it. Yeah. Ooh, I would I would love to play Small World on one of our our, our game nights. Yeah. Because that's just that's just something that we can never like table for whatever for reason, reason. It's just hard. Like, uh, my wife isn't the biggest fan of dudes on the map games and so yeah she's usually playing with us so we tend away from those yeah. and then if we do have enough I think, people like, mike to... is the same way like it's one of his favorite games of all time but uh, his wife doesn't like it and so he just really struggles <laughs> to get it to the table and then if we do have enough players that we can play we end up playing you know dune or something a little bit more complex so yeah. I, I think that'd be a great yeah, uh, it fits in like an hour 45 two hours yeah. kind of time slot super so. easy now I have to come up with one. I, know, um, <laughs> I do. I did my part. I, I jumped on quick because I was like, I don't want to take small work. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. So I, I, I think I'm going to go back to another one uh, from college, uh-huh. and, and that's Dead of Winter. Oh, I, yeah. I don't quite think that the rule book is horrible. It's just that there are a lot of like ticky tacky rules in yeah. Dead of Winter that are not necessarily defined very well in the rule book. Mm-hmm. That. I think, I mean, we played Dead of Winter for two years and we're still realizing that we were playing rules incorrectly. Yeah. And like, that is 100% true. And they're not even minor rules. Like, right. Okay. Like, what was, I think it was the, there's noise? like, what's that? We were, we were screwing with the noise. The we noise were, we screwed up. And the then calling zombies. Calling we, zombies, we really screwed up. Yeah. For like the longest time. <laughs> and that's like one of the main actions that you can do. And we were just totally playing it wrong. <laughs> yep. I, I don't know. I think it's kind of because the, the player sheet slash cards kind of give a very brief summary, yep. which can be, which at least my first interpretation of the the player aid mm-hmm. is completely different than what the rule book states. Yeah, and so that like I'm reading this is one of the first like rule books that I read through to learn a game. Mm-hmm. So that also may be playing a factor, which I guess is a good factor to play in this question. That's right. Yeah, accurate <laughs> so, to the question. But I like I when I read through a rule book, I like to. Well, now I like to watch a video, then read through the rule book, then yep. play. But like then I was like reading through the rule book, and then I would kind of play, play around with it. When you have a rules reference sheet right there, I just read it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's how that works. Right. And then I just kind of never looked at the rule book at that section again. So yeah. I, I think I'm going to settle on Dead of Winter, which mm-hmm. I think Dead of Winter could be a gateway game. If you have at least one person that has played it before, but because yeah. it's cooperative... And I think yeah. if you don't play with the betrayer, yes, yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, which is an optional rule in in the in the rule book. You can play with it or not. Yep, each card has two sides, and one is right. with the betrayer, one is without. So yes, that is a good caveat. If you're not playing with the betrayer, mm-hmm. it's a it's a cooperative game that can be quarterbacked pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. But I, ideally, you're not doing that. But right. I mean, it's the theme is so great. You're fighting off the zombie apocalypse that it kind of yeah. like brings people. It has a really great table presence. It does with like the you know the vertical like the stands. Yes, you know zombies are on stands and everything, so it, it does have a really good table presence. And and we talked about in the gateway games episode that like that can be really important to a new player. Like, hey, dude, do you want to come like kill zombies with me? Like, we're gonna be on a team. And yes, they're I like, do. I don't know how to play, and it's like, <laughs> well, that's fine. It doesn't yeah. really, like. I can walk you through your turn, to be honest. Yep. We win or lose together type right. thing. And I think... It's not, not overly hard. It's not overly hard. And the more I'm thinking about it, the more I like it as a gateway game. Because it is cooperative, but you also have your secret objective. Yeah. That's the only thing... Or 
I guess that thing cannot be quarterbacked. And mm-hmm. so you, mm-hmm. the players have some sort of freedom yeah. that they can that that they can play and they have to complete this objective that no one else knows. So it kind of gives them a little bit of path, but then so I I think that Dead of Winter could work as a gateway game if you're not yeah. playing with the Betrayer and you have someone to kind of run the zombies mechanisms. That's true, yeah. It's another common thing with co-op games that as long as there's somebody who can play the bad guy's turn, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. can, it can work. But whatever you do, don't make the new players read the rule book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have to teach it to them. I have not seen a lot about this game in a long time. I mean, it was the biggest thing in the world. Yeah. In the, in the board game world. Yeah. Uh, because for, the Crossroads cards were such a cool idea. The Crossroads cards were such a good idea. And uh, Plat Hat Games said that they were going to bring right. that back in. But maybe maybe they did. I, I just haven't seen anything. I haven't seen it either. So if it did, it probably didn't do well. Yeah. yeah. I I used to love everything Plat Hat put out. But yeah. now, recently, I'm just they're just not... I'm just not jiving with their stuff. They are re- releasing Summoner Wars, though. So oh, there is cool. a Summoner Wars 2.0 coming out, which nice. is very dangerous for me and my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, Summoner Wars, I don't, I don't know if I've mentioned it. That is my most played game of all time. Yeah, because Easily. of the app. Because of the app. I, yeah. I have well over, I think last time I checked, it was like, well, it was over 1,200 games of Summoner oh, Wars. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's so much. So much I, I played a lot of Summer Wars. <laughs> and, that, and that was just online games against other people, not like yeah. training games against the AI. Wow. So I played a lot of Summer Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you brought an icebreaker for us. I did right? bring an icebreaker. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Caleb, for that icebreaker. That was, a, that was a good one to talk through. Mine, just to, we're kind of trying to set up the conversation um, for this upcoming book topic um so it won't be a book analysis episode um, but a book topic episode focused on character development um so just to kind of like get our brains turning about that and get people thinking about it we each like keep like a a tab in our in our like notes about uh, just like icebreaker questions right just like throwing them down when you like think of them so i thought of this one a long time ago and i'm excited to hear your thoughts and i don't know what my answer is either so i'm gonna be figuring it out Good. as we go um do you think that george rr R. martin's habit of killing off important characters is effective or just lazy writing interesting Okay. I'm excited for this question. <laughs> it's making me think. Okay, so I think killing off characters in and of itself is not lazy writing. Mm-hmm. To the extent that Martin does it, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I, I love kind of like season one. Uh, I'm I'm not mm-hmm. going to spoil anything because that's kind of on the restricted. Yeah. That's in the restricted area for us. Yeah, we haven't covered it too but, much yet. like the level of characters and their importance in the story that he kills off there are just blindsided me which was amazing to the story yeah and i wish that more books did that Mm -hmm. i would love it if i'm reading through stormlight archives and a main character dies Mm -hmm. like that would be i would i would never see that coming because i'm kind of i think in a lot actually not all of sanderson's books but a lot of sanderson's books are the books that we're reading now i feel like the main characters are pretty safe yeah i would agree where, you know, they may lose their powers, they may get injured and have to fight through some adverse scenario that's, you know, not perfect for them. But mm-hmm. for the most part, they're going to be there at the end of the book. Yeah. Game of Thrones is not that way. And yeah. So I I don't think so. I, I don't think it is lazy writing. I, I think that it is effective in how he does it. Mm-hmm. And I, oh, man. I just keep thinking. So definitely in the first half of the Game of Thrones universe, it's done well. In the second half, there may be a couple of mm-hmm. characters, especially in the season eight, 
which <laughs> I hope becomes non-canonized. Yeah, right. That I do think is. I did ask writing. specifically about George R. R. Martin. <laughs> that that is fair. The, and Martin has not written season eight for right. the the books. Right. So okay, I will take that out then. Then yes, I think that it is an effective writing tool. Yeah, I think so. You brought up the point of making the reader question whether the main characters are safe. I think that is the key. That's that's really the strength that he brings specifically to the first book, which is yes. a game of Thrones, right? Yes. That is the name of the first book. So like, that's why we always call it that because you're right. There is like one very specific character who is a very main character who dies. And unexpectedly, like I think when you think he's going to die, like your mind goes like, yeah, okay, that's sure. Yep. But he's going to get they out can't of kill it. Kill him. They can't kill him. He's, he's the main character. <laughs> he's going to get out of it. And then you're like, Oh shit. Like he's not the main character yeah. anymore. What just happened? You know, who's the main character now? And then, like, from then, it just sets the tone, right? From then on, you're like, oh, is this character safe? I think as it goes on, even into the third book, um, so not even the TV show for me, but into the third book, I think there are some deaths that are written for shock value. Um, okay. I can see. Yeah, okay. Um, I think I'm okay to say the Red Wedding. Yes. Like, that's just, a, you know, a term. You don't know what it means yet. And I think it's a fairly common term. Like people yeah. who, you know. Yeah, I, so I think that is not anything. spoiler. Yeah. yeah. I, I think can be construed as shock value and not necessarily continuing the the theme of is the main character safe? I, I'm seeing your face. There may be room for debate there. I, but that's my impression of that scene. I think that the Red Wedding in the books is significantly less of that kind of lazy writing, kind mm-hmm. of shock value than it is in the tv show okay i think that there's a lot of foreshadowing that goes into the books that you don't see in the tv show. that's very true yeah that's a really um, good point and there's a lot of like intrigue and things that are building up to yes it. Yeah. yes and even from characters like the there's foreshadowing in daenerys's arc in the mm-hmm. book for the red wedding yeah and that that you just don't get in the tv show yeah i think the tv show also it kind of lends itself towards that because it feels very dramatic mm-hmm. like it feels overly dramatized Mm-hmm. More so than what I felt in the book. Yeah. And in the book, it did feel kind of like sudden. Mm-hmm. Whereas in uh, in the TV show, it felt kind of like I was still like, I kind of knew what was happening because I read the books. But like, I was just like, it, it was like eerie. I, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. hmm. it is, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. yeah it's, and it's such a, it's such a hard topic for, I think, writers to tackle because they do spend a lot of time building into the arcs of these characters if it's a character that doesn't have enough development and then they suddenly die um then i think it kind of comes across as like that shock value of like oh you just needed to write in a death and so you built a character that could die yeah Um, martin has a quota of one death per 100 pages so so he has to meet it right i think cedric diggory feels that way in the movie and does not feel that way in the book like in other words that he feels in the movie like he was a character that was written to die Oh, um, okay, yeah. And in the book, he does not feel like he was a character that was yes, to die. Yes, yes, I, I agree with that. You know. Oh. So they're kind of having to, like, yeah. walk that line, you know, has this character had enough development? But also, like, if they put so much time into developing <laughs> a character, I could see how it would be, like, super hard to kill them off. Not only that, but, like, because of the limited time and the limited story that they're able to tell in the movies, specifically with, like, Harry Potter, compared to the book size, yeah. that it's like, oh, we're going to put a lot of time into developing Cedric. Mm-hmm. People may go into that saying, oh, okay, what's happening with Cedric? Yeah, true. <laughs> so true. so that could be something. We've talked about um, Demon Slayer before. There, there's some there's some wisdom in character deaths in Demon Slayer, like cycle, the demon cycle. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. 
and it's I think probably not like you still know who the main like the main character yes. is and like he feels very safe and so like it doesn't quite get to the success I think that Game of Thrones and or I guess Song of Ice and Fire to call it by its correct name <laughs> um, gets to but I, I don't know when I, I think when I started thinking about that question I started thinking like just trying to track that through different novels because it's easy to kill a character at the end of the book yes for because they've already been through their arc and it's for effect but it's hard to kill a character in like the middle of the story in a way that's effective. Yes. Boromir. Boromir is another good example. Boromir is a really good example. Yeah, it feels like his arc is cut short. It, he has so much left oh, to do. Oh, yes. Because he, yep, because it's right after kind of that low point. Mm-hmm. Or it feels like the turning point of his story mm-hmm. where, you know, he's yeah. going. It's definitely at, the turning point of the fellowship. Yes, yes. Know? It is the turning point of the fellowship, but like kind of of Boromir's entire life. Like he falls short yeah. and it almost feels, you know, he's going to fight for Merry and Pippin and he's going to redeem himself. Yeah. And yeah. it yeah. doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen. <laughs> and that's it. Yep. And he has so, to, and his like kind of personal climax is apologizing to Aragorn. Yes. Know, oh, yeah. That was sad. Yeah. Do we get that in the movie? Yeah. Oh, a we little, do. Yeah, okay. a little bit. It's yes. He like he. I think in the movie he like does like an apology. Oh, and yes. He's saying yeah. Yes. He's kind of like asking him to kind of take the take the torch or whatever for yes. him. Yes. Yeah. Because I remember him talking about Frodo. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good icebreaker. I, I, good. Both of those were really good. Yeah, for sure. I, that one I'm gonna be thinking about for a while now though. Yeah. Because I'm gonna go through and analyze all the character deaths that I know and like, <laughs> do they just not want to finish this arc? Yeah. <laughs> like, is that is that what? Uh, Martin was doing is like he got tired of, of this character. character yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't actually know where to do this yeah. uh, or what to do with this character so maybe we'll just <laughs> nix that guy. Right. Call it a day. Right. Or does it enhance the you know the effect of the story and move the plot along and make you know enhance the experience I guess of the reader. I will say that Martin is very very good at making you care about characters Mm-hmm even though you know that they may die on the next page. Yeah. Right. Like I, I feel very connected with so many of the characters in his stories, even though that threat is there. Yeah. Yeah. And even though they might be evil (laughs) (laughs) in the character development episode, I think we're going to see a lot of game of Thrones. Yeah. It's definitely a skill of his. Yes. And how he can take someone that you hate into someone you love, into someone you hate, and then mm-hmm. D D <laughs> just kills him again, uh, <laughs> figuratively and literally. Yep. Um, but yeah, no. So I, I'm really looking forward to our next our, our next book character. Topic. Yeah, our book topic character yeah. development. I think it's gonna be fun. Yep. And of course, April eighth, we are doing April eighth, two thousand twenty one. Mm-hmm. If you're listening past two thousand twenty one, then the episode will have already been released. That's right. And you can listen to it at your leisure. Yeah. But April 8th, we are going to be doing a book analysis of the first book, Red Rising, yeah. of the Red Rising series, Red Rising. You're going to be that. thankful that we told you to read this book. Yes. Like, it's it's a favorite. It's, it's a good book. It's I'm, really I am awesome. really excited to reread the book. Yeah, right? Because I have only I do it about read once it. a year since I've read it the really? first time. Really? I've yeah, only I've read, read it once. once. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're really going to enjoy rereading yep. it. So I, I, I'm reread. looking forward to it. I cool. am really excited. Cool, cool, cool. We're gonna trip cool. over each other on uh, Audible. I guess. Nope, I turned that setting off. I know. I'm about to say I got to turn that <laughs> setting off again. So, but yeah, good fireside episode. Yep. If uh, if you need, if you want to reach out to us, I think the best places are Instagram or our Discord. Yep. So you can find either of those links on our website. They're also in the show notes, or or in the podcast description. So just open up your phone and click on join the Discord. Yeah. Uh, you can join the Discord for 
a bunch of fun topics, but we also do a monthly game night, which is the second Saturday of every month. Yep. So hop on there and we will play. That's all done virtually. Yeah. So you just need to probably have Tabletop Simulator mm-hmm. or another way to play. Well, it, it's kind of all described whenever games are set, sent out. So. For sure. But awesome talking with you as always. Always. And cheers. I look forward to our next one. Cheers. Cheers.